Hold me close. Let your love surround me. Lead me closely and draw me closely to your side. What a pondering thought this morning. As we open up God's Word and we realize just how messed up our lives are. If you would, please take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'll be reading verses 17 through chapter 5, verse 2. Many of you will probably remember the former New York mayor, Rudy Giuliani, specifically because of his leadership following the World Trade Center. Those attacks took place in September of 2011. But he will also be remembered for dramatically reducing the crime levels in New York City. For many years, New York's reputation throughout the world was that it was a city of high crime, statistics, and rightfully so. Movies always portrayed the city as one that was covered in graffiti, controlled by gangs, and a place that you would never walk alone day or night. When Rudy became mayor, he embraced this social theory called broken windows to fight the high crime levels and attempt to improve the overall living standard of the city. There's a book that that came out in 2002 called Leadership, and he describes it, Broken Windows. The theory holds that a seemingly minor matter like broken windows in an abandoned buildings leads directly to more serious deterioration of neighborhoods. Someone who wouldn't normally throw a rock at an intact building is less reluctant to break a second window in a building that already has one broken. Someone emboldened by all the second broken windows may do even worse damage if he senses that no one is around to prevent lawlessness. It was an enormous task for Mayor Giuliani, one which required the cooperation of many separate departments, such as the police department, the sanitation, public transportation, and so on. All departments were told to sweat the small stuff, as Giuliani describes it. Seemingly minor crimes like jaywalking and littering were cracked down upon. It was a must that any graffiti upon train or other public places was removed immediately. Store owners whose shops needed repair were encouraged to fix their premises. Garbage removal was improved so that waste did not remain on the streets unnecessarily. Giuliani achieved the immense task of uniting all of the various departments behind the common cause of stopping the broken windows theory in its tracks and thereby dramatically reducing the city's crime levels. However, even though the theory for broken windows was developed in the early 80s, but I think it's exactly what Paul was trying to say in the following passage. So I'd like us to read together. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We're talking about the new life in Christ, and if you've never taken that step of faith, I encourage you today to take a step of faith and realize uh, who God is. Oftentimes we go to church and... We go through the motions, but we just don't have a relationship with Him. Once you try having a relationship with Him, you'll realize just how awesome our God is. You pick up your cell phone, you text people, you Facebook them, you email them, because you have a relationship with Him. You want a response 
Well, you'll never get a response from God Almighty if you don't talk to Him, if you don't text Him, if you don't email Him, if you don't talk to Him. So I encourage you this week to do just that. Verse 17, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, and that word would mean just craftiness or orneriness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation or the former conduct of the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one, of one another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. How many of your grandpas and grandmas have told you when you got married, listen, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. I got it from my grandma. Or you get it in cards. So I wrote that to kind of continue that legacy on. Don't go to bed angry at each other. And I know we all have, and, and you turn over, and we're embarking upon Valentine's Day, but you know a time where, where couples are recognized. But let me speak to you in a personal way. Communication is valuable, very valuable in your walk and in your fellowship with one another. And if you're, if you're allowing things to disrupt your rest and to disrupt that, that relationship, then you really need to stop and learn to communicate. Take one step at a time. And there's a pastor I know that will help you if, you if you're having some difficulties. He'll open up his office for you. It says, Neither give place or neither give pl- opportunity to the devil. Isn't that amazing? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but think about it. Giving place or opportunity to the devil when we allow anger to set in. How many of you regretted when you said something when you were angry? Okay, I'm glad... Most of the church is honest in here. Okay. (laughs) Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. There you go, Taylor. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. For a sweet-smelling aroma. Amazing. I like the key verses in 22 and 24. This is what it's all about. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to do what? To put off your old self. And to put on the new self. To be like God in true righteousness and in true holiness. But I love his scripture where it says, We are to be what? We're to be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly beloved children... And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice 
to God. Now, it needs to be said at the outset that Paul is speaking here to people who are already Christians. We only need to look at the first verse of Ephesians to see that the entire letter is addressed to the faithful in Christ Jesus. I say this because the behavior that is expected here is for Christians, not non-Christians. Because what do we say? Old things are passed away and we walk in the newness of Christ. So Paul was addressing the church as Christians. To expect Christian behavior from people who haven't put off the old self is not reasonable, nor what Paul is addressing. The concern, though, of Paul throughout this entire passage, indeed, the entire book of Ephesians and much of the teaching of the New Testament on Christian ethical behavior is to reject what destroys community and promote what builds up the community. Do you hear me? It is to reject what destroys community and promote what builds community. To do what? To repair. To avoid, in the first place, the broken windows that exist in the church. The specific issues he deals with here are the window panes that need to be fixed. This can be summarized in three main areas. One, our mouths, our hands, and our hearts. I love this book. It's called Broken Windows of the Soul. And it's by uh, Dr. Leachy, as well as uh, Mr. Flegel. But Dr. Leachy is uh, a friend of mine. This was, this was actually pushed by Newt Larson as well. And, uh, and this Dr. Leachy has just touched so many people's life. Uh, it's just amazing. Would you agree, Jessica? A sweet man of the Lord. And uh, I'm kind of partial towards him. But he's with Emerge Ministries. And I love this book. It's called Broken Windows of the Soul. And as I just explained, and it's also in this book about what uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani did actually in New York, the same issues are dealt with in this book. But this book is really dealt in, in issues regard to addiction. How addictions and how hurts, habits, or hang-ups can hurt our relationship with Christ. How many have you ever noticed that driving down the road... You know, all of a sudden, something just comes out of nowhere and just this little hits, the, hits your windshield. And you don't realize it and you don't see that little hole or divot or crack that's in your window. Have you noticed that? We've all seen that. But what is amazing to me is that we will keep that chip on that windshield. You know why? Because your mind doesn't see it. Your mind looks around it. It's the same thing with glasses. As I was wearing glasses and got upset with them here about two and a half years ago and threw them up on my shelf, and that's where they've been ever since. So really, I can't see your faces. And uh, just kidding, I'm watching you like a hawk. Um, is, you know, you'll get specks on your glasses because it's so close. You don't see what's on your glasses. Have you ever taken them off and went, whoa, wow, these things really need cleaned? Yeah, or you have scratches that are on your, your glasses and you don't realize that they're there. Isn't that amazing? We don't realize sometimes the cracked window panes of our soul. We don't realize the, the cracks or the chips or the divots in our life because now we've overlooked them. Now we don't see them. It's just something that's there. It's unrepairable by what the, the physical eye can see. You know, now they've come out with, well, we'll come and fix all those chips within that windshield. They come and fill up all those chips. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's just so that it doesn't spider and get out of control. That's the whole theory 
of broken windows. If we don't start to repair the minor things in our lives, listen to me, church. If you've had some cracked glass, if you've had some broken window panes, if you don't start to repair what's broken and you don't cry out to God, then healing will never take place. And all, it, all this is going to take place is this. And statistically, as I was reading from the mayor in New York, crime decreased all because they took all those little small cracks and all the flaws throughout that whole city and it changed that city. It was a safer place and even tourists were excited to be a part of going to New York City. And the same thing applies in our walk. If we allow our hurts and our pains to influence us, then what's going to happen? We're just welcoming and other distractions. We're welcoming for other problems to come in and start to break the other window panes of our life. My desire for you today is to do this. One, to become transparent and to become real with God and to realize we all have problems. And as I said, the broken windows of the soul, you know what this book is about? Pornography. It's about the increasingly decline of godly men that are addicted to pornography. Oh, Preacher, you're going to talk about that today? Oh, it's making me nervous. Well, it should make all of us nervous. Do you know, statistically, they did a study of 100 men. 98 men have seen pornography on the Internet. Isn't that amazing? It's because Satan and his craftiness reveals it. You, you know, I was speaking with Leslie one day, and she says, I was Googling something for a children's chapel story. And she said, on the screen came pornography. Unfortunate, isn't it? Curiosity leads to experimenting then leads to an addiction. We need to be free from it. We need to allow God to free us. And I love what Paul said to the church of Ephesus. Let me show you how to do that. Let me free you from the pain that you're going through. Let me help you and lead you through your hurts maybe through some habits that you're going through. And that's what I love about this text. Even though the whole book of Ephesians is probably, that's my favorite book. But I have to say, this text, I hope today will will motivate you and help you reflect on your own life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that in our own lives where we don't discuss our hurts, our pains, and our habits... Lord, I just pray that today we'll we'll find recovery through your word and through who you are. Lord, you said, for I am the way and I am the truth and I'll give you life. Lord, may we seek you today. Lord, I pray that you'll motivate our church and motivate me, Lord, with clarity. Hide me behind the cross and help me to explain this text as best as I can. In your name I pray. Amen. Three elements to this morning's message. Mouths, hands, hearts. Mouths. Having put off the old self and put on the new self, we live a life of truth. We are to use our mouths to speak the truth that God has placed in our lives in Jesus Christ for the Christian. Lying is no longer a resource in our arsenal. The truth is not a choice. It is a necessity. Isn't it amazing when we have our little babies? We tell them, son, Did you do that? In my case, I had all girls. Daughter, are you telling me the truth? 
Yes, Dad, I am. I do not have that cookie in the cookie jar, and I'm not going to tell you that I ate it, and what are you talking about? So they turn around, they got cookie all over their face. They came in this world strong-willed. But our mouths come out lying. We must realize that truth is a necessity in our Christian life. Listen, lying is a destructive behavior, both to the liar and to who? To others. Think about this. The church is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as being the body of Christ. What? Made up of many parts. That's why we're going through the spiritual gifts. That's why I've, I've talked to you, you know, the first week about the seed within. Last week was the chicken versus the eagle. And today we're talking about what? We're getting right down to the root problem. Broken windows and shattered lives. Realizing for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We've come into this world as sinners. So realize that we're all part of the body, as Paul was saying. We all have an integral part, and that's where spiritual gifts come into place. So how strange would it be if the eye saw danger coming but told the foot that it didn't exist? That'd be kind of uh, amazing, because you might lose your foot if you did not watch and you did not listen. Lying distorts reality and accompanies every other form of wrongdoing. It usually motivated by self-enhancement or self-defense and usually does not occur in a singular form. It is very difficult to tell only one lie. Jesus Christ referred to himself as what? I am truth. Well, I've put it up here. Why not have a pondering thought every week when you come in just to look at that? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What a way to really focus on his holiness. What a way to focus on who God is. Now, we as Christians have taken on his name. We are members of his body, so we are the truth of Christ personified now. Jesus is characterized by truth, and his people should be as well. Lying is one of our broken windows. It damages the liar as well as the entire community. In our human categorization of sin, we place it low on the sin hit list. You know, sometimes I put these thoughts together, and I'll get a thought from here and there, and I think, that's a big word. Can I change it? Sorry, it just came out, but I got through it. Thank the Lord for that one. We always place sin on the what? The hit list. Low on the totem pole. It's not a priority any longer. So let's go ahead and repair that window. Lying is sin. Say it with me. Lying is sin. And it's therefore unacceptable behavior for Christians who are created to be like God. And what's it say in his word? In true holiness and true righteousness. As our passage says in verse 25, Therefore each one of you must put off falsehood and speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are all members of of one body. And today we, we come together as a group of believers, of Christians, to f- move forward this church, to be a lighthouse so that you and I can come and praise His name and worship Him and experience who God is. And a man said to me this past week, I'm thankful for I have grown here. And now I've experienced Christ. I had another man who I was with on Monday who said, as we got done and we spent some time together, uh, he and his wife and me and my wife, he now says, I'm hearing the voice of God. 
Because he's crying out to God. Because he has a relationship with God. It's important. Paul continues later in the passage by referring specifically to the choice we make and how we will use our mouths in other ways. I think one of the saddest but most common and destructive things that affect the church is the misuse and abuse of our mouths. Gossip, slander, backbiting, verbal abuse. Foul language. I just thought I'd get your attention. Isn't it amazing how destructive our tongue is? How destructive our mouth is? We don't realize we're so busy participating in sin and we don't realize just how damaging it can become. I love what the writer of Proverbs spoke about gossip quite a bit. For example, here's what he said, Proverbs 16, 28. A gossip separates close friends. In 18.8 it says, The words of a, go- of a gossip are like wounds. They go down to a man's innermost parts of the belly. 26.20, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, the quarrel of strife dies down. Preach it. You're right. Praise the Lord. Keep it going. Sit, sit. Go on. Go. Isn't it, isn't it sad? We all have opinion and we're entitled to one. So I'm going to say how I feel. Listen, I've struggled with the same thing. We've got to be careful. And I'm telling you this because, what did I say? We need to be more like Christ. We need to take on the characteristics of Christ. What I find most interesting about the next section of the passage in verse 29 actually could be followed by verse 31 and 32 with no break in thought. Instead, Paul includes verse 30 in there. and He says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed unto the day of redemption. said a moment ago that as Christians we have taken on the name of Christ. We're Jesus' physical representatives on earth. The seemingly small sin of the misuse and abuse of speech is not simply a rock that breaks another window of the church. It is a wrecking ball through the entire structure. And let me tell you something, church. I have seen church splits because of somebody's big mouth. When are we going to stop? When are we going to come together and love one another? Because I know in his word it says there that mm, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Because God is Christ has forgiven the church. You know what the problem is? You have so many cracks. You're happy with your broken window panes. You're happy with your life. Why do you want to forgive? Why do you want to love? Why? Because it's comforting to deflect. As a family counselor, I find myself oftentimes saying, to so many couples and individuals, you know what you're doing? You're deflecting. You're not taking responsibility for your big fat mouth. I like saying that. You're not taking responsibility for your big fat mouth. I need to make a, a message on that. The reality is, listen, respect one another. So what is the solution? Get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all rage and anger and brawling and slander. Isn't that what his word says right there? 
along with every form of malice, in verse 31, gossiping, back, backstabbing, foul language, verbal abuse, and the like are no longer welcome in this church. Welcome to 2013. So if you go to say something, I'm going to look you dead in the eye and here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to share with everybody. And then if you bring up somebody's name, you know what I'm going to say? I'm going to them right now. I hear crickets. You know what we've done? We've allowed all this to go on. Think about it. We do in our families. We do in a workplace. We do in the church. I remember as a youth pastor, and this was... the. Uh, this young guy comes to him and he's like, you know, Pastor, I found out that she was, and she was, and she was. I couldn't believe it. She was, she was. And I looked, I looked him in the eye and I said, really? Wow. Ooh. Wow. Whoa. Really? Come with me. Let's go get her. He's like, oh, no, I mean, not, not with tug of war. Come on, we can do this. You know why? Because he didn't want to confront it. And here's the problem. We're losing people to Christ because we're listening to things we shouldn't be listening to. And that's the mouth. That's what's hindering us from moving forward. Let our speech be one that honors God. If you are a Christian, you bear the name of Christ. So if you participate in that sort of behavior, it's quite simple. Change your behavior or change your name. Not for my sake or other's sake, but for your sake of the Holy Spirit who is grieved when Christians destroy one another with their words. You've taken his name, don't take it in vain. You've taken his name, don't take it in vain. You've taken his name, don't take it in vain. Instead, let's use our mouths for righteous and holy purposes that God has given us for construction, not destruction. Let's focus on what speech was given to us for. We have the authority of God to use our mouths to do what? To build up, to encourage with encouraging words that benefit those who listen. We have the authority of God to use our mouths to be kind and compassionate to one another. And we have the authority to use our mouths to forgive one another just as Christ God forgave each and every one of us. It's amazing. And then we move on to the hands. We all know that stealing is a sin, and that's an easy one. So as we look in the scriptures here, though, Paul tells us that simply refrain from stealing is not the behavior that Christians are called to do. Christians have a higher expectation of contributing to what? To the community. I'm all about the community now. I want to move with the community. I want to be in the community. I want to evangelize in the community. I want to continue. You know, I was making a list of all the things we did last year. I want to add to those 25 or 30 things that we've done in the community and make it grow, make it greater. Isn't that what Jesus did? You know, I was just telling uh, my prayer team this morning. I said, you know what? A comment was, was said to me. Well, you know, how much time do you expect from me? No, God expects your time. But, but what's amazing is, I hope you don't expect me to be sitting in this office within four walls. There's times my wife and I evangelize here, but I've got to tell you something. I'm not sitting downstairs in that, in that office. I'm here to evangelize. Because I, I don't recall 
Jesus is his executive CEO office with a nameplate on it. All he said was this, I need to get alone by myself in the Mount of Olives. I need to go pray to my father. That's where he went and met his father. And then after he was done resting, hanging in a tree, I don't know what he was doing, but praying and meditating, he went right back down. And what did he do? He started healing and he started teaching. And he started doing things that, wow, kind of moves me as, as, as an individual, as a man of God, just to think, okay, we need to be in the community. Operation Christmas Child, being in the community, allowing people from the community to bring their boxes here. That's wonderful. You guys all saw on Dateline the other night, Brother Jerry, Hannah Hill case. He was in the community. He's on there. He was a man who stood for righteousness and holiness, man of character. So it made me proud as his pastor. And brother, I do want you to know, I know there was more you wanted to share. They didn't put those clips in there. I had your back, though. And so I realized that as he was on Dateline, you know, that's TV, isn't it? And so, unfortunately, they're going to paint a picture and to do something that's more appealing to the world. Wow, that's kind of how Satan is, too. Okay, that's an advertisement. To, to use our hands for something useful that benefits those in need. Paul emphasizes the complete reversal in behavior that Christians go through when they put off their old sinful self, in this case, theft, and put on the new self, here working to the benefit of others. I remember Zacchaeus. What was Zacchaeus doing? He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. No, he wasn't. He was looking for him because he knew that Jesus was coming to confront him. Because he was taking stuff and he, he was collecting money and sticking it in his pockets. And he was hoarding all of it. He was a thief. And then what happened? Here's what his response was to Jesus. Look, Lord, here and I give half of my positions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. He had gone from taking extra taxes for himself and turned completely around to give half of the possessions to the poor. Half. That day, Zacchaeus repaired the broken windows in his life. You know why? Because over here was a man who was sinful, but in his journey, over here was a young man who all of a sudden decided to start to repair the broken windows of his soul, and so he changed his life. And he said, all right, here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to give back what you've graciously given to me. And he didn't give it to him, he stole it. So he ended up giving back. Half. His life changed. Have you let the Holy Spirit convict you so that you can start changing? So that God can start doing a work in you? Laziness, procrastination, and consumer Christianity are all subtle sins that plague the Christian church. There's even the attitude that if I pay my tithe, then I've done my bit for the church. The paid minister should be doing the work. Don't get me wrong. Giving is important, and many people give cheerfully and consistently. But giving must not just do, be something we do when the offering bag is passed each Sunday. Giving should be a lifestyle. It really should be. We are called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, all of it, not just 10%. We beseech you, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. So we give ourselves to the church community. 
out of our love for God and out of love for one another so that all may benefit. This is another broken window that needs to be repaired. The church as the body of Christ. Here's the solution. It's not an organization, but an organism. And must be treated as such. As you know with your own bodies, if one part of the body is sick or injured, then the whole body is affected. Let's give all of ourselves to God and to each other. Let's reject laziness, procrastination, and consumer Christianity. Let's use our hands for the righteousness and holy purposes that God has given us. For construction and not destruction. If you're going to procrastinate, then do it later. Because our passage says here, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. How many of you have been hammering and you hit your thumb? Who does that make me angry? Man, that's terrible. You know, last year, I can't, this mic's driving me crazy or something's going on here. Uh, last year, I got an infection in my big toe. Aren't you glad I'm sharing this with you? I just have to tell you, it was painful. I don't even know where it came from. I really think here's what happened. Right in my cuticle, I think when we were down at the beach, a sand particle got in there and they got it infected, okay? But I did what most people do because I called the, the doctor and I said, something's really hurting and it's just kind of killing me. And he's like, come in, it'll only be $800. And so I did what everybody did. I walked up to my bathroom and I took a razor blade and I cut it myself. Okay. Wow. But guess what happened? Come on. You guys look at me like, I've never done that. I will not take care of myself like that. I must have it sanitized. I did. I ran it under hot water. (laughs) There you go. But here's what happened. I thought I was like this. Oh, my toe is killing me. You guys don't know this, but I was sweating up here last year. My feet were killing me. I tried on this shoe and that shoe and this shoe. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to come in here with a dress shoe on one side and a flip-flop on the other. But I knew you'd be distracted and you wouldn't hear it. So, hallelujah, the Lord took care of me. And I got through that message. But isn't it amazing that within the body of Christ, Hannah, she's a nurse, she's like, I can't believe he just did that. Anyhow, uh, isn't it just like the body of Christ? If one just one part of the body is hurting it affects the whole body and if you think for one minute that when the hand does things and it's there for destruction and not construction that it's going to hurt the whole body that's what paul's saying here we all have an integral part in the church so what is your gifting what is your talents what are you going to do to allow god to start to say okay here am i lord Use me. Here am I, Lord. Change me. So we move on to the hearts. Paul speaks to the broken window in two areas, anger and in love. There's much in the world for Christians to get angry about, and rightfully so. Injustice, poverty, racism, lies, abuse. Our president, I mean, I didn't say, I mean, sorry. And uh, just kidding. Christians everywhere should be (laughs) appalled at these and other atrocities that exist in our world and be actively seeking solutions to them. This, however, is not the focus of this passage. Our passage is talking about anger between people in the church and about preventing it in the first place. You know, and and please let me explain something to you. I'm not preaching this message because I believe somebody has a big mouth, somebody has a stealing hand, somebody has, you know, an angry heart and is not showing love. I'm preaching this because I want a church 
that will have repaired windows. I want a church where people are repaired. I spend a lot of time repairing. But I know that God is the great physician and he is the healer. And I realize that healing can only take place, as they say in AA and in Celebrate Recovery, one, I must admit that I have a problem. That's step number one to recovery. Step number one is realizing, yes, I have some cracked windows. I have some chips in my glass. And I need them repaired. I need God to help me. So we move within the message and we talk about anger and how it is a self-centered emotion. It is a chemical and physiological reaction to our displeasure that the world is not as we would like it to be. It is a choice that we make, for we choose both what we react to and at what level the reaction will occur. Like lying, anger damages both the angry person and the community. I'll give you an illustration. Hi, this is my wife. She goes to our bank, and she says, um, I have some deposits to make. And the lady's like, yes. And she says, well, here, here they are. Clunk. She throws it up on the counter. And that sweet, sweet young lady behind the counter kindly says, we don't do coins here. And my wife says, excuse me, aren't you a bank? Mm-hmm. But we don't do coins here. We only, we only accept them if they're rolled. Well, we have two choices to make. One, we grab her by the throat and we yank her across the counter. I know you guys thought that. Or two, <laughs> we love her and we don't get angry. Yeah, and my wife says, can I love her and still choke her? And, and unfortunately, she says, sorry, but the Nepali Fellowship, that's how they give. And if you're a bank, you'll have to accept all $5 of change. I mean, come on. We weren't talking $50 of change. And if it was $50 of change, take it. You're a bank. Oh. The Bible says be angry and sin not. I, didn't, I just did not sin. But isn't it amazing how we allow emotions to get the best of us? Oh, you guys haven't been there. Hi, I would like a uh, Big Mac filet of fish quarter pounder French fries, icy Coke, thick shake, and Sunday in an apple pie. <laughs> Excuse me, sir, what did you say? Yes, I'd like a Big Mac, filet of fish, quarter pound of french fries, icy Coke, thick shake, sunny and an apple pie. Okay, please walk to the window and we'll, it'll be five dollars and I will that whip. Is that correct? Maybe. We pull up to the, to the window and all of a sudden, what happens? Our Big Mac and filet of fish our quarter pounder French fries, our icy Coke, our thick shake, our Sunday and our apple pie is not even in the bag. So that's it. I never asked for a cheeseburger. They gave me a cheeseburger. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that cheeseburger and I'm going to sell it to that lady. She'll never forget me as long as she lives because I'm going to show her this is not what I ordered. And sell it, Pastor. Well, the, 
Well, the Bible says be angry and sin not. Isn't that amazing? And this mic is really starting to get to the best of me. I just want you all to know that right now. I'm going to start getting angry. I just got to clip this on my shirt. There we go. And uh, get up underneath there. So I think what happens is we end up allowing our anger to change us. And I know you're all saying, Pastor, what in the world are you preaching this for? I'm preaching this because I believe that our church right now is in a place where we need to have victory and freedom from some of the things that have held us down. And you know what? I drive away from McDonald's. By the way, I haven't eaten there in two years. Hallelujah. I'm free and I'm saved in glory. So I drive away from there and I think to myself... I'll never eat there ever again. It does things to my body I don't ever even want to express. But anyhow, that's why you don't eat at McDonald's. So the reality is, why get angry over a place you know they're not going to get your order right? Because think about it. If they cannot understand, if you can't understand them, they can't understand you. Because on the other end of that mic, they're hearing, Did you want that with ketchup, mustard, and onion? They had no clue. I, I, I got to tell you, I'm on the phone this week, and I'm just going to throw this in there. I really wanted to get angry. We got a washer, okay? And this washing machine is a nightmare. You go to Best Buy, and they say, sir, can I help you? Oh, what are you looking for? I'm looking for a washer, sir. Oh, well, come right over here. Let me show you this one. Why is it they always show you the one that's $1,562? First of all, I don't want a $1,562 washing machine. Forget it. My little rope or whatever we had that was $299, it washed our clothes for seven years, okay? I don't need it to sing and to dance and all that kind of stuff. But we did compromise. So instead of going to the $299, I went to the $500 one. I said, let's have a little bit of the medium washing machine. So they bring it to us. And Becky and I are excited because we're like, we went from that little 2.3 cubic little tub to a four point cube. Woo! We're excited because we're a family of six. And now my wife can just throw everybody's clothes in there. It'll wash them, dry them. And they'll walk up to their bedrooms and go right in their drawers. It'll be so much fun. Wouldn't that be nice, honey? Okay. Well, anyhow, so we get it. They deliver it. Okay. And this is what's funny. Sir, if you'd like, you could do financing 18 months. No interest. And I know that you'd want this one right here. But for a little bit more, you can have this one. Go ahead and try financing. And they're all real cool, calm, and collected. And then they deliver to you. You get it within two days. And I'm thinking, wow, this service is amazing until the Samsung gets delivered. And the, the Hallelujah Chorus is singing. And it's all hooked up. And we go to turn it on. And here's what we get. Really? I'm gonna t- oh, no, I didn't really do that. Um, so then we, we get on the phone and we, pay, we call 1-888-BEST-BUY. Just say it with me. Customer service reps stress me out. Go ahead. Amen? So here's what happens. We call customer service and I'm on the phone for two hours and 20 minutes. I journeyed. It was the greatest vacation of a lifetime. Let's see, I was in Indiana. Then I went to Texas. Then I ended up in Hong Kong. Then China. And then I ended up, I think, in, in, the, in Harlem or the Brooks because I couldn't understand what was being said. And then um, 
I mean, I was all over the place. Then because I got frustrated and they hung up on me four or five times, I'm thinking to myself, what is going on here? I mean, you guys haven't experienced this at all. I know I'm, it's probably foreign for you as I'm telling this story. But, you know, as I'm sitting there, I'm trying to tell myself, Lord, I'm trying to show love. Lord, please let me show love. Because sooner or later, they're going to find out that I'm going to be an angry man. You know, and it was so kind of them. Seven days later, they delivered us an exchange. It was so kind of them. I mean, seven days. I thought, wow, that's amazing. So Friday it comes and it's delivered. And my wife and I leave and we're here at the church. And we go home. We want to try that new wonderful Samsung washing machine because Consumer Reports says it's great rated. Are you ready for it? Let's turn it on. You know what I wanted to do? I'm just going to demonstrate. I'm going to take that thing. I want to kick it. But then I found myself taking a deep breath and saying, Lord, let me show some love. I just need some love. So I walk in the other room and I call 1-888-BEST-BUY. And so I talk to my friends in China and in Hong Kong and in India and in Texas and in Florida. Sir, just do me a favor. Stay on the phone for just about five more minutes. I said, five minutes? I've been on here for 45. Well, what we're trying to do is we're trying to find a place that will be able to help you out. All right, that was enough. I said after an hour, that was it. So I called up the manager up here. That was, thank you for calling Best Buy. Please press one. And if you have a question, press two. Did you buy a TV, a computer? Press three. If you have questions about that, press four, press five. So that was a 10-minute story on how many numbers I needed to press. So by this time, what's happening? Am I getting angry? Help me out, church. We're getting angry. Yes, and then my wife, who's freaking out, is now taking clothes down to Renee's, and she's so kind, so Becky puts a load in their beautiful front-loader washing machine and does the job, and then she brings it back and dries it. So I finally talked to the manager. Hello, this is Mike. Yes, Mike, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. How can we fix your problem? Get somebody out here right now. But I couldn't do that because, you know, here's the thought. Oh, I'm a child of God. And if I really get angry, and he's going to see it, and he's not going to see Christ in my life. Matter of fact, I'll bet you he'll be sitting in the pew on Sunday. So the Holy Spirit started speaking to me. So I did what every Christian does. Listen, I'm going to tell you this for the last time. If I were to F-bomb you, that's what I said, then you'd probably do something about it. And you know what? I believe that nice guys finish first. And I'm going to reject what the world has to say about them finishing last. But right at this moment, I'm starting to believe it. Whew. Made me feel better. Sir, What? here's what we're going to do. Can I have a sales associate call you back? <sighs> and what does every God-fearing, submissive wife say? Give me that phone. I'm taking him down right now. <laughs> She didn't do that. She called up the store while I'm on the phone. You go, honey. Anyhow, so Monday they're going to come and exchange it again. That's right. I know it, honey. 
We realize that this passage, and I've got I to gotta move full speed ahead, anger in our hearts is also one of our broken windows. It, itself, anger is not a sin as such, but if it is not dealt with efficiently and in love, it can be a foothold for the devil. Let's repair the window. Do not hold on to your anger any longer than you must. Like a hot potato, the longer you hold it, the more you get burnt. As our passage says, do not let the sun go down upon your anger and do not give opportunity to the devil. The other side of the broken window is love, is by far the most challenging repair that needs to be made. It says here, and I love this, in verse 5, it says, be imi- I mean, chapter 5, verse 1, to be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Here's what it's saying, church. Be imitators of God. Live a life of love just as Christ loved us. Sacrifice a sacrificial love. That's what it's about. I understand that these are difficult expectations for a Christian. And I understand that none of these instructions are easy to achieve, but it's been something that God has called His people to throughout all of Scripture. Leviticus is perhaps the most important of these in the Old Testament. Time and time again, God says to his people in Leviticus, Be ye holy, because I am holy. In other words, he says this, Imitate me. Jesus himself reinstituted this command in Matthew 5 when he said to his disciples, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Thank you, Paul. What a motivational speech that you gave. Thank you for changing us. This holiness is not just for pity's sake or to achieve a sinless state. This holiness of perfect love, a love that follows the example of Jesus himself, who loved the world so much that he sacrificed himself for salvation. Jesus has set the standard high. Behavior that is that is expected of all Christians. Like an encouraging coach, you run alongside them, you teach them, you train them, you love them. And He has promised to be with us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll walk with you. I'll train you. I'll help you. And as I was on that phone, I had to stop for just a minute and say to myself, hey Todd, it's not about that stupid washer. Because you know what? I I realized what God was doing that washing machine was going to give us some problems two weeks down the road, maybe seven years down the road. And when my warranty runs out, it'll be $5,000 to have something replaced. And so God was saying, get it out of here right now. And so I have to realize that, you know what, I need to show love. Our God is not a God who is removed from us, but a God who cares and who identifies with us. We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of His glory, but He responds with self-sacrificing love. The sacrifice is pleasing to God, not only because of the obedience of Jesus, but also because of what is done in restoring people into a relationship with himself. Jesus' sacrifice accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. The response to this passage is simple in its instruction, but difficult in its application. It just requires obedience. Like Zacchaeus, we're required to put off our old self, to turn away from our sin, and to turn to God, who gives us a new self to put on. We are created to be like God and in true righteousness and holiness. And here's how it is. 
The challenge for us today is this, to consider the broken windows in our lives and to seek God's help to make the repairs that need to be made. Quite often we draw the line on what sin is acceptable and what it is not. There is no sin that is acceptable for the Christian. The line must be drawn there. Let me, let me tell you this, and I'll close, and I won't go down through a couple more points that I have. I was on the phone this past week with, with Aaron. He's a young man and who's doing a great work of God. And in Aaron's life, he has people that are around him. And we realize that in life, sometimes we have some hang-ups and some habits. And as I was talking to him, I said to him, Hey, Aaron, let me ask you a question. Why haven't you moved forward in your calling with God? He's out in Vegas, and I love him dearly. And he said, you know, over the years it was fear. And I have to tell each and every one of you something. That it was for years that I didn't preach for fear. For I was afraid of what was going to take place. How people were going to judge me. The things that they were going to say. And realizing that, you know what, they're going to judge me because I have a pink shirt on today. They're going to judge my wife because she's wearing purple. By the way, did you guys notice that side was purple today and the other side was black? Okay. I didn't know if you were as obsessive compulsive as I was, and I kind of noticed that in the praise team. If you didn't get the memo, I'm really sorry. But, um, but you know what? We all have fear. And as we go forward in the spiritual gifts, we have to realize that some of us have some fears. We don't want to serve. We don't want to open up our hearts to do what God wants us to do. All we want to do is just sit. Well, guess what Paul was telling him? If you want to be an imitator of Jesus, then you need to be active. You need to forget about some simple things. But focus on who my Christ is. And I've got to tell you, I've been serving the Lord now for 17 years. I was a youth pastor, senior pastor of this church for seven years. And I have faced some hardship, and I'm just going to be real transparent with you. There's times when I tell myself I don't like people because it's miserable. But on the flip side, and that's the angry part of the old man in the flesh, but in the new man in my life in Christ, I have to say, man, my passion is people. I love each and every one of you. I love spending time with you. But you know what ends up happening when when that self-centeredness emotion starts creeping back up, it says this, that Satan gets opportunity in my life. And that's when I stop serving him. What have you been dealing with today? You know, we talk about broken windows, and next week I'm going to talk about a couple stories in the Bible on shattered lives. And maybe right now you're dealing with some things in your marriage. Maybe you're dealing with some things on your own personal love. Maybe you have some dings in your glass, in your windshield. Maybe your, your window pane at home is broken. And maybe you just keep, you keep going back to, as they said, once they repaired one window, there was no more damage. But if there's one window broken, people will come through and break every window. Do people see that you have a crack or a ding in your life and you're just attracted to the abuse to the violence because you don't feel worthy. 
Well, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the healer and he wants to heal you. And he wants to repair the broken glass of your soul. The Bible says that the eyes are like windows to the soul. And when I sit and speak to somebody, here is my prayer as I look into your soul. God, allow your Holy Spirit to give me wisdom to help and to understand. But let me ask you this. Are you crying out to God and saying, Lord, change me, mold me, take me, refine me for the power of your love? I come to you today to say, I finally did it. I faced my fears. I stood up here before you and I still get nervous. But you know what's great? Is that I get to lean on God Almighty. And that everything that I say and do is by His direction and His hand. And when I get up here and I start to allow anger to take place, then I lose that fellowship with Him. Sin creeps up in my heart. And the Bible says, if a man regards iniquity in his heart, he does not hear your prayer. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to be freed from? I didn't say that forgiveness means sitting down and having dinner. I said forgive them for your benefit and for theirs. To show love. To show understanding. It is my sincere desire as your pastor. As we draw the line in the sand. And say no to sin. That it is not acceptable, no matter how small we may perceive it to be, that we will see similar dramatic results in the righteousness and holy lives that God has called us to live. That we learn to turn from our acceptable, backslidden, broken lives and repair the cracked glass by walking in the ways of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God fill Continue to fill us with His perfect love so that we may live righteous and holy lives for Him. And church, may I encourage you today to not give opportunity to the devil. To not give place to the the devil. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little children, what you do. May that be a pondering thought. Let's all stand as we close. Father, we come to you today, Lord, broken and spilled out. Lord, we just pray that you'll help us to to use our life to become transparent. Today is the day of recovery. Today is the day where we change our life. And Lord, may we just grab a hold of what Ephesians 5 says. May we be imitators of God. May we be like you. May we possess you. And Lord, we'll never understand who you are until we realize who we are. And so, Father, we're sinners saved by grace. Lord, we were created, we were made, we were fashioned in your image. Father God, I just cry out to you and and I just say, Lord, as, as we come just as we are, may we hear your spirit call. Lord, today is a turning point for this church. Lord, may we come as a body of believers 
to forgive and to love, not to deflect, but realizing that everything we do affects this church, right, wrong, or indifferent. Lord, and then it affects the whole body of Christ. For Lord, we realize that we're a lighthouse to the community. We're a lighthouse to our loved ones. Lord, help us today to repair the broken glass. And Lord, may you just give us the strength to sometimes go through those rough trials and some of that pain to realize that healing is taking place. For Father, today, if there's somebody here that don't know you as Lord and Savior, may they take that step of faith and come to the saving grace of Jesus. Somebody wants to come and join. May they, Lord, fill the Spirit calling them to join. Lord, maybe baptism, whatever it might be, as obedience to you. Father, may they turn from their wicked ways. May you hear their prayer and may you heal them. In your name I pray. Amen.